Okay, where are we leaving? Felix's house. <laughs> what are we doing, Jube? Podcast. What's it called, Laz? Talking Kevin. What'd you think of today's episode? Awesome. Are you glad you're homeschooled? Yep. Uh-huh. You don't want to go to school? Nope. You sure? Yes. They got nice buildings. <laughs> nope. We got a track team. Nope. Weight room. Nope. Library. Nope. Cranky teachers. Nope. All kinds of friends. You could have a million friends. Yep. You're going to pick homeschool, huh? Yeah. All right. Fine. Have it your way. We were going to talk about child rearing. The what and why and the wherefore yeah. of raising children. You brought three of yours to sort of make sure that you're being truthful. Who, and who are we? We're going to do the introduction thing again? Um, yeah. So, uh, the, welcome to... Talking in the Chasm. Talking in the Chasm. Compassionate, controversial conversation between best friends. Holy man. And an atheist. I'm Felix. And I'm Matthew. Say this: We have thirteen children between us. <laughs> yeah, and plus one adopted. So uh, let's go fourteen. Um, he shares the the uh, the bulk of that. I'm carrying the heavy part of yeah, that. Yeah, he's 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 doing the heavy lifting with eleven children. Eleven children. My oldest is nineteen and just married. She'll be twenty this winter, and the baby is will be a year next month. Jeez, so that's crazy so eleven children in ni- nineteen to one. Wow, and I have a twenty-year-old girl, and we are sort of in the process of adopting a nineteen-year-old boy, and we have a sixteen-year-old girl about to turn seventeen. So um, I think it might be safe to say that we both are not enamored by the uh, traditional educational system. In America, it didn't suit either of our families very well. No, so um, I, I think I'm not sure that this is what you would call it, but I think that that you might we might be talking about homeschooling yeah. and no schooling, sort of unschool or no school. I think it's called no schooling, but it's not really what we do. We'll we'll talk about the differences um, between that. So. So let, let me share what we do. Well, we, mm-hmm. we, we chose to homeschool, and there's a, when, when Eric and I became Christians, right after we got married, we kind of assumed a whole package of convictions that weren't even, some of them weren't even, like, it's not like we meditated and decided, it's just like with a new worldview, we made certain assumptions. So like, m- m- my wife left home at 15, and wasn't wasn't trained in a lot of things and mothering and any of that stuff but we knew we wanted to have children and when we had children she just intrinsically knew she was going to breastfeed we were going to keep them home for school like all those things were kind of default decisions that we hardly even thought about the decision it was more about how are we going to make it work 
Can, can I just jump in with sure. this, the breastfeeding thing? When we had our first child, um, they asked um, Sarah, are you going to breastfeed? And I was like, what else Wait, do you do? What? <laughs> People don't breastfeed. Like, women carry around these things their entire lives, and then now here's the chance. Here's what the, you get to use. And then no. People say no, I'm not going to do I, I blew my mind. I had no idea. That people did not breastfeed. Erica had a great book. She she's always because she's we've had so many babies. She's been into midwifery and <clears throat> and lactation consulting and that kind of stuff. She doesn't know professionally, but she's for her own study. And she had a great book called "So That's What They're For." <laughs> I mean, wow, you know. And then uh, we had like a... Sarah's. I can't remember who, but someone was like, "Oh, you're breastfeeding? You freaking hippie." <laughs> <laughs> We had a, Eric and I have a, a, a clandestine PR campaign where we're trying to get bottles called synthetic breasts to put everything back in the proper categories. I see. So as a scientist, I, I you know, I'm, I, I love science, mm -hmm. but uh, there are many times in which uh, when science sort of sticks its foot in there and says, oh, we can do it better, they're just dead wrong. And uh, and they learn, you know, we, we, we learn, but... Uh, the it idea was a steep that, that curve could, uh, from the '50s till about the '90s, early 2000s, and I think that's what—that's our, my parents' generation, Erica's parents' generation. That's really what it was. Like the scientific progress of the '50s, like synthetic was better, formula was better than breast milk, yeah, bottles were better. Out, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. Like it was the wave of the future. Science was going to answer all of our problems, and yeah. science was wrong about some things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, so, so that the other kind of like n natural parenting style that sometimes they call peaceful parenting, you know, co-sleeping with the baby. That we've always had a family bed. We've always, um, yeah, we've done child-led weaning, all that kind of stuff. And and for us, that made sense just because I was thinking, well, what have people been doing for thousands of years? For millennia, people been having children. They weren't. They weren't schedule feeding them. They didn't have a wristwatch that said, oh, it's been two hours since the baby ate. It's time to eat. When the baby cried, you fed it. Right. When, ever, when everybody got tired, you laid down and went to sleep. So we've just kind of modeled that kind of family life, and it's been, it's been great. That's what we did, too. We, um, I actually am a very sort of anxious person, uh -huh. and when our first child was just a wee little thing, I, I just... I, I just thought she was going to die. I was just like every day, a hundred times a day, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to die, she's going to die. We, we're not going to be able to, to get her to healthy, you know, till she can survive in the world. And uh, at night, I couldn't sleep. I would wake up three, four times at night and run over to the crib and put my hand on her just to make sure she, that she was still breathing and stuff. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, I, I can't do this. So we just took her out of the crib and put her in the bed, and then I was just like, oh, I could sleep because so she was right there. And it just felt like that's what... You know, the, we just did what felt right to yeah. us, yeah. and then it ended up being the same thing. I think yeah. that I can't remember when I mean, we didn't intentionally wean. I think it was a sort of a self thing, but I want to say three years old, four years yeah. old, something like that. I mean, you know, um, when 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 the children were hungry and they wanted something, then we gave them something. I That's mean, it just it yeah. just totally what sort of went with what we felt was right, not really consulting books or anything like we that. We usually, Erica quit nursing when she was pregnant and couldn't nurse anymore. Or, in that same way, we would, the the older, the, the youngest baby left the bed and went to their own when there was a new baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So just kind of natural process. So that was all. That was all stuff that we didn't. Nobody trained us in it. Just like you said, it just felt right. And, and I, I, I know great parents. I don't think that's the only way to be a parent. I know great parents that are very different than me. That are very schedule task oriented. Right. Well, to them that feels right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But homeschooling was another another issue like that. That I. I have a. I have like a. I have a litany, a list of things that are the reasons that I homeschool. But I think at the top, at the very top of that list, um, would be, I don't, how do I say it? When I grew up, my parents were dumb, and my brothers and my sister were dumb, and nobody got me, just my friends, and yeah. friends for life, and we we love each other and we like and then that turned into when i was later in my teenage years then it was gang mentality it was like skins for life and all this stupid stuff and i hated that i i hate that now my my 19 year old daughter and my 18 year old daughter and my 17 year old son and my 16 year old daughter and my 14 year old son they're my best friends and we love each other and we enjoy each other and that's one of the things that's been always really encouraging to me is that your family's that way too yeah i mean people say oh the terrible twos oh, and oh that. the teenage years i'm like man you're uh, yeah you're doing it wrong i mean That's to right. me it's like every single step of the way is more fun and That's interesting right. than the last step mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm like loving this i'm loving this little science experiment of watching them turn into little people with yeah. their opinions and you know I mean, the, hate the, terrible the, twos. The first time that they, you know, came up with an idea that I didn't implant, I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" But, um, but also, yeah, we um, we have always raised our children. Uh, my parents were were awful, mm -hmm. also, and I. Um, and I remember actually taking notes in my mind growing up, going, okay, well, don't ever say that to your that. children. Yeah. I'm never going to make them feel the way I feel right now. Um, but we've always sort of done things collectively, you know. Um, we decided, we actually sat down and said, okay, let's, let's come up with, with the rules of the house, you know. And it was basically the children's input. It's like, oh, how, how do we want to behave? How do we want to treat each other? Um, you know, and, and we said, do, do we want to be sarcastic and mm -hmm. say things that are in a hurtful way? It's like, no, okay, do we, we is cussing okay? And we're like, sure, why not? What's the, who cares? We're not mm -hmm. going to have magic words or anything like that that you can't say. But you, but being hurtful is not okay. So you can't say, I don't love you, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and, 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 and we just decided, okay, we're not going to scream at each other. We're not going to hit each other. We're, you know, we all decided as a family. And then uh, we had to stick to it, you know. And there were times when I'm just like super mad, and I'm like, and I start raising my voice at, at my children, and and um, I'll just says, you know, the way you're talking to me right now, you wouldn't like it if I was talking to you that way. And I'm like, you're right, <laughs> and I hate it, <laughs> you know. So um, it was, you know, they were involved. It was they were part of the process. And then I, when that happens, you know, they you you buy in. I think I think that's probably the philosophical difference between your home and my home. For all the similarities, we're a much more parent-led home. We're a yeah. much more, and and we have kind of a rule book, right? We're we're trying to create a, a biblical environment, something that we think is in line with what what God wants us to be. And so there's some exterior standard to our 
to our home. So the question of those kinds of questions, if there's a biblical answer for us, that's a set rule. Right. We don't we yeah. don't re navigate that. For sure. And I think that probably produces the outcomes, the out, the educational outcomes that are different, like homeschool versus yeah. unschooling or no schooling. So so, so that's the so that parent led versus uh, consensus led yeah. would lead to a difference between yeah homeschooling where there's a directive, there's a direction, there's yeah. a leader versus the unschool which is much more collectivized. Right. You wanna I talk mean, about the philosophy behind Yeah, that? I mean we were parent-led, I would say, in the very beginning. Um, just sort of like, oh, we, we bought a crib. You know, we just sure. did what, what we thought, you know, you were supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let me maybe talk about my the school that my sure. children attend, because that really did change the way that we... It really changed much of our were lives. Were you guys in conventional public school before We were that? in conventional public school, yes. And um, uh, our first really uh, enjoyed school, really loved kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade things started to get a little bit weird and then fourth grade was awful because that's when MCAS kicks uh -huh. in which is Massachusetts, do you know I what it stands for? Yeah. It's like those the testing thing mm -hmm. where they're like okay everybody has to make a certain score on this test and it's basically to just make sure that the teachers are teaching to the to the test into the books and you know all basically it just strips the teachers um, away it strips away their ability to teach to their strengths you have to teach exactly this way bang 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 um, everybody sits in a in a chair and faces forward and you know this is at the end and man Irene did not did not dig that at all so um, one day she was doing some she had to do like spelling uh, assignment or something to learn how to spell and she had to write a word five times and there was like a list of 20 words and she was just writing them five times well, five times five times and then she gets about halfway down she turns to me she's like why do I have to do this and I just said I don't know I don't no know good reason. and it just occurred to me if I can't get behind this I can't tell you you have to do this mm -hmm. it just makes no sense um, so we took uh, her out of the public school. We found this just through this weird circuitous route. We found this awesome school that we love. It's called Sudbury Valley School and um, it's a social democratic school I think they call it and the idea is that this, it's, it's completely child run. So there's, um, I think there's like around 100 kids. There's 11 staff people that are just there in case the kids, you know, have questions or need anything or need specific instruction on something. But the children just do whatever they want. If they want to play video games all day long, they play video games all day long. If they, you know, they just, they end up just, you know, exploring the woods and catching frogs and, you know, talking to each other and, and, um, just basically hanging out every day with no curriculum, no tests, no grades, no nothing of any kind like that. So what we learn is that children are very capable of taking care of themselves and um, the children run the whole school through school meetings and stuff and they decide who gets hired, who gets fired, you know, they, they say, oh, did this did this teacher help you, yes or no? Was this person effective? If not, they get fired. You know, if, if, if yes, then they stay. They decide, oh, you know, the, the school needs a new roof, but we also want a new playground. And then here's why a roof is important, here's why a playground is important, and the children then allocate the resources to where they're supposed to go, and they do a really good job. So 
what what kind of blows my mind. There's not so I'm sure people looking at that model like how how come the they don't there's not a mutiny where they just put ice cream machines all down the hall and right yeah thick. because that's that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and uh, what you realize is that if you give children the ability to make decisions they make good decisions because good decisions lead to fruitful lives if the, if the roof caves in then you know you're gonna learn something so um, that's sort of the model of the school so basically they went to school and they got to do whatever they wanted to do mm -hmm. right and then but they had a bedtime you know they had to be in bed by eight o'clock whatever and then one day our oldest said hey if I get to make all my own decisions at school, why don't I just get to decide when I go to bed? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And then I was like, wow, you know, you're right. You're right. So we, we, we took that sort of school model um, and then we just applied it to everything else. And it's kind of like you can tell your, your child, you have to wear gloves, it's cold outside. You have to wear gloves, it's cold outside. And then you make them wear gloves and then that's fine. Or they can decide themselves and they go outside and their hands get freezing cold and then they realize, wow, I should wear gloves. Mm -hmm. And then they wear gloves. And they made the decision and they learned something and it wasn't just, oh, because I told you so kind of a yeah. mentality. So that is sort of, it seeped into the way that we do everything. Um, you know, they, so our children decided when they were going to go to bed and it turns out they didn't stay up till 2 a.m. every night watching TV. They went to bed at uh, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock because they wanted to not be tired. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's kind of how, how it worked. It's a neat, uh, it's a neat system. I, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued with it. I, th I think we do that at an age-selective, in an age-selective way. So... We don't do that with our four-year-olds, but we certainly hope to be doing it with our 12-year-olds and our 13-year-olds. Right. And it's a, it's a gradual process that we transition, but we certainly have the goal that by the time the children are, are fully functioning, by the time they're in their teen years, that they, they're responsible for their own decisions, for their own actions, sure. they understand their own, their own uh, ethics and morals. The other, there's another, and, and there's a certain kind of, like, there, in, in our home, there's a certain goal towards maturity. We, we, don't, we don't allow children to become a part of our churches, so we don't baptize children. In fact, the way that we, the, the way that we understand Christianity is that you can't, a child can't be a Christian, not in the sense that other people are because, because it's a conscious decision because it has yeah. to be a conscious choice to become a disciple of Jesus yeah, the, the Amish have a similar yeah a, a lot of the Anabaptist groups are, are modeled that way and so it requires a mature intellect to really rationalize the decision so that's kind of like a goal that we point towards is that you're supposed to have a self-sustained conscience morality reason ethos that you're making your own decisions with and that's kind of like that's a an adult decision so we're we're gearing them to learn to make their own decisions to rationalize their own yeah course well what makes sense to me about that um, i actually just happened to watch a documentary of the amish and um it was about rumspringer it was about uh -huh. rumspringer and 
what's crazy is that the Amish um, are an enclosed community. Yeah. So they don't really have contact with the outside uh -huh. world. And then you're like, okay, go nuts. Here's the outside world with no frame of reference. And then they go crazy and they do drugs and all this stuff. And then they decide, okay, do I want to be Amish? Do I not want to be Amish? I just feel like that's kind of unfair. Yeah, it is. Um, with your fo with your kids, they're in the world. Yeah. And I mean, you have dangerous people like me coming over to your house saying that God doesn't exist. And and they're part of the conversation, you know? So I, I feel like your children, when they reach the age of maturity and then they decide, they actually can decide. They uh -huh. have a frame of reference and they said, okay, you know, I've seen the way you know, Papa lives and I've seen the way that the, the rest of the world lives. And Amish don't see the way the rest no. of the world lives, and it's a very unrealistic yeah. um, view of the world when you turn 18 and you just go nuts yeah. with other 18-year-olds with basically, you know, children. It's dangerous, and lots of money, because they're typically very wealthy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Amish, yeah. They've been working oh, since that's they right, were eight, it, it kept, eight years old. Yeah, it kept talking about how they buy cars. Yeah. Like, where are they buying these fancy oh, man. cars? Those kids, they <laughs> quit school at sixth grade if they can, and they work like men until they're 18 and then they go nuts and they have 20 grand in the bank and yeah and what yeah they actually said that that they they specifically don't want yeah they don't want they don't want education but um what's interesting is when in this documentary when they were interviewing all the all the kids the number one thing the number one reason that they did not want to go back to the Amish community was their car mm -hmm. just Crazy. It's in the American I, blood. It's yeah. As well. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to mention another thing about um, Sudbury Valley School. Um, it's it's ages four to eighteen, nineteen, you know, whenever, and um, there children don't naturally segregate by age. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so weird when you think about it in school how they're like, okay, with the eight year olds, they, you know, it's like You're imagine, a fourth grader. I'm yeah, a fifth grader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine like you know going to a working at an accounting firm where they're like, okay, all the 35-year-olds are going to be here. It's insane, right? It's weird. So when, when my daughter went to school, our youngest, she was maybe seven or eight. Her best friend was a 15-year-old girl who taught her how to tie her shoes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, but people often say, well, how, how do they learn anything? Like with you, you know, you, you actually teach yeah. reading and writing. So yeah. well. we, we, we didn't. Uh -huh. And so people say, well, how, how do and they... And your children aren't illiterate. They're not. <laughs> so they say, how, how do they learn how to read? And, and it's, it's basically the same thing about putting on gloves when it gets cold. Mm -hmm. It's like they, they want to text each other. You know, mm -hmm. they, they play video games and they want to read what's going on. Or, you know, they're watching somebody else play a video game. And they're like, what, what's happening? So they teach each other how to read, when they want to read, when they're motivated to read because they, they want to. And um, I, I want to just very quickly tell this story. It's a sad, sad tale of the American uh, educational system, but I, I mentioned we were in the process of adopting uh, an 18-year-old uh, boy who, or 19, who uh, graduated from the Cambridge Ringe in Latin School, which is supposedly a very Hoity-toity. Very good school, uh, public school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He graduated from there, and one day he's playing a video game, one of those World War II shoot-'em-ups, and he turned to me and he said, were the Americans, did they fight with the Nazis or against the Nazis? And at first I thought, he's like, this is some kind of a joke, some kind mm -hmm. of a weird thing. I'm like you're playing a video game right now. You're, you, your guys have a circle and a star and their guys have a little cross saying you don't 
you have no, you really, you really don't know? And he goes, no, I, I really don't. So I explained to him a little bit about World War II. And then um, I had seen this on like, you know, Jay Leno or something. And I, I so I, I picked up a map that had no, um, no, Labels. no markings at all. And, and I said, uh, could you point to a country on this map? Any country, just anything. And he had no idea. I was like, where's America? No idea. He had no idea. Yeah. And, you know, my daughter who went to this school where they don't teach you anything, she's all into philosophy and she reads books all the time and she sure as hell knows that the Nazis, um, <laughs> that we were the against the Americans. And she can tell you where Singapore is and just because she's interested, you know. She, she just happens to, to be interested in these things. So... Uh, that was very telling to me. It made me feel like, wow, I made the right choice. Um, everybody thinks I'm crazy. People think it's verging on child abuse. Yeah. That we don't, uh, yeah. that, that, that these children just get to do whatever they want to do. I, I, I can confirm that, at least in my own experience. I was, I, I did remarkably well in high school for all the weed I smoked. Like, I, I, I did, I, I think I graduated with almost a 3.5, 3.4. Yeah. And I literally never went to school. I was high every single day. Yeah. And and I figured out in eighth grade you just have to go, you have to show up on the day when there's a test and five minutes before you walk in class read the bold sentences yeah. in the chapter and you get an A. It's I mean, not hard. Yeah, when you think about it, school is very easy. Yeah. Because it's like if you learn the tricks. Right. I mean it's like here's what I'm gonna I'm saying something, okay? Two weeks later, you're just going to regurgitate what I said exactly to you on a test. So this is going to be on the test. This is going to be on the test. Yo, here you go. And um, so that's easy, right? Yeah. You just you, you just do whatever you're told, right? The bell rings and you do this. The bell rings and you go here. Yeah. It's easy. This school is very hard. It's like here you are. You have five hours. Don't be bored. Go. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, that that's that's pretty hard. To, you know, you, you are in charge of making yourself interested. Um, I, I would say that, that really there's one thing that I wanted from the educational system, and th this, is, this, this is true today. There's, there is one thing I want, and that is I want my children to love learning. Yeah. That is it. I don't care if they go to college. I don't care what kind of job they get. I don't care if they, you know. I want them to be curious about the world and want to figure it out. Yeah. And school was actively killing that. Yeah. Actively killing it. There's a um, there's a, a Carl Sagan book that uh -huh. I read um, that's just amazing. Uh, it's called The Demon Haunted World. Uh, Science is a candle in the darkness, something like that. But he says um, in kindergarten that children are just a bunch of little scientists, yeah. right? They're all curious and they're like, oh, what are dreams and why do we have toes and why is the grass green? And then by the time they're 18, that has just been beaten out of them. They don't care. They just want to leave. They're just they're done. And, and that, that's so and sad. And all that's to left see. is a desire for entertainment and money. It's just so sad. It's so sad. Yeah, it is. I, I, our ethos for homeschooling. There were actually three things that we wanted out of our homeschool. Uh, we focus on um, making strong readers, and and my theory is that the things that I took away from my public education were things that I was interested in books. Same thesis. If I wanted to know about it, I read a book, and that stuff sticks in my head. And that's 
everything I've learned before and since my public education was because I was interested in writing a book. So I wanted my children to be good readers. I don't care how academic they are. I don't care what they're, what they're interested in studying. I want them to read well. I want them to love learning, and I want them to know how to teach themselves. Those are my three goals. And then I, I think a fourth goal, which is important to me too, is that I want to be responsible for their, for building their character, their worldview, their understanding of themselves and the people around them. That I want, I want direct access to their life to shape them. Because here's here's my thesis, and I don't I don't know that you would hold the same one. You can let me know, but I think that children are going to be shaped by their environment. If you live in if you live in Tibet, that produces certain outcomes. If you live in America, if you live in South America, children are produced by their environment. And so I wanted to take that into my own hands and say I'm going to shape the environment that's producing the outcomes, the kind of character and the kind of young people that I want them to be. I want them to be kind. I want them to be non-imperialistic, non-nationalistic. I want them to embrace the broader world. I don't want them to have certain hang-ups that people around me have. I want I want to be directly responsible for their character. I want them to be honest. I want them to be hardworking. All those things I want to put into my children. And I didn't trust anyone else to do it. I said, if it's going right. to get done, we're going to do it. Yeah. That's not that different. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I uh, we're, we're, we're very much the... I know you want those way. things for your I mean, children. We, and, 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 you know, we certainly expose our children to what is interesting to us, mm -hmm. you know, to the mm -hmm. art and the science and the, the mathematics and the music and the things that, that we're interested in is what they, you know. So our culture yeah. is what they're, you know, like the people in Tibet, they have a, a, yeah. a culture that shapes them and, and certainly we have a culture that shapes us. Um, our children, I mean, you know, people go, oh, you just have no idea what you're talking about. Our children don't lie to us. Yeah. You know? They just, they don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, and we're very, very close to our children and they, and we love them and they love, like you said, best friends kind of thing. I, you know, um, for the first 20 years of my life, I didn't speak to my mother mm -hmm. and for, and I, my father, um, I haven't spoken to him since I was 22 years old. He's never met his grandchildren, you know, and it's just, it's terrible. It's an awful, awful thing. So the goal of my life was that my children want to talk to me, mm -hmm. you know, when they're 40. Yeah. And, um, it's just a very different household that yeah. we have than, than the one that I, I grew up in. Um, we love each other. We love being around each other. It's just super fun. I, I was talking to a neighbor whose children in college and have gone away, and they said, oh, my, my kids are coming back home for the weekend, and oh, it's going to be so they're going to make a big mess. It's going to just suck. And I'm just going to like, oh, I can't wait for them to leave and go back. And I'm like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. I have no frame of reference for what you're saying. You know, I, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for your children. That just sucks. It's like the perpetual terrible two mentality. People tell me when I when I tell them how many children I have, and it comes up in conversations. They're like, ah, oh, I can't believe you have that many children. I can't handle the two I got. And I always want to say, well, I couldn't handle the two you got either. It's yeah, the, yeah. But you made it that way. <laughs> That's good. It's not. It's not the child's fault. Two, yeah. I think that two, this is why the terrible two thing bothers me so much, I think that two is the perfect human age. I think it's like the pinnacle. Like that's when humans are perfect. Is that what, that's sort of, you, that's sort of self-awareness, right? Yeah, so you, and they're you talking, realize I'm they're an inquisitive. Entity. 
they're kind, they haven't become yeah. cruel. And I'm separate from my parents, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm a different person and I can think something different. They're so, I love two-year-olds, my favorite people ever. Yeah, for sure. And then, but these people, they're not two anymore. Well, my children know. My favorite child is whoever's too. Yeah. It's yeah. always been that way. It'll always be that way. That's why you keep having them, That's right? right. <laughs> keep, keep, the, keep the machinery working. Uh, so uh, let me tell you just one more quick story about okay. uh, our child that we're adopting. He, he was reading Romeo and Juliet in school uh -huh. and just hating it. Mm -hmm. He didn't like it. He didn't get it. And he, and he said... Uh, he told us, he said, he asked the teacher, why, why do I have to do this? Like, why, why am I reading this? And the teacher said, well, because you're going to be tested on it. You know, you need to know it. And I was like, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. And I was like, your teacher had actually told you that? She didn't say, it's because... It's, it's the story of the ages? It's because <laughs> it's a story about you. Uh -huh. You are going to fall in love with somebody so powerfully that you would die for them and you're going to have these crazy emotions. It's just so... It's like this, this story. It's been told a million times and most people agree that this guy was a pretty good storyteller. Wrote he told it well. It, told it really well. But... It's a story about who you are and about what that's like to be you. It's to, about falling in love. I mean, it's this incredible story that, that, that defines who we are as human beings. It's so important and so awesome and fun. And it's you. Mm -hmm. and, and he said something like, wow, and she didn't say that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to, your children to hate Shakespeare... You know, send them to school. Send them to school, man. I, it's I, too bad. Yeah, it is. It's very sad, and I, <clears throat> I, I think there's a, there's there's two versions of that, right? Like I, I think that on the other side of that very ugly coin is the idea that parents don't know that they have what their children need. So let, let's talk about qualifications for a minute. There's all kinds of, I, I really appreciate, there's a lot of brave people going back to the, to the mid 70s that were homeschooling pioneers who were really willing to risk truancy laws and take yeah, some yeah. real like, had some real conviction behind their desire to be what their children needed. And it's still in many parts of especially Europe and Northern Europe, I know families from both Germany and Holland who fled the country to be able to school their children because they took it that seriously because they wanted to be involved in their children's education. Those things are illegal in, in many of those European countries. So there were. Can you imagine not being able to shape your children? I can't. So the government saying, we're going to decide I can't. for you? I mean, what? I've spoken with some Germans uh, uh, that are over here that I've met just in the course of being out and about about that issue, and they don't they don't even hardly think of it. Like they just think it would be it. We have this great education system, and if you're not willing to exploit it, then you must not care about your children. And it's actually the opposite. Well, the education system, at least in America, was the current system was devised around the turn of the century to make factory workers. Yeah. The bell rings and you do this. And yeah. it was great and it did a really good job for the Industrial Revolution. But now we just don't need that kind of education. We need, you know, creative problem-solving skills and strain, you know, communication and conflict resolution and things that they just don't teach at yeah. all. Yeah. You know, imagine if in school they taught uh, communication, like how to talk to each other, yeah. um, conflict resolution, 
uh, how to uh, basic money handling skills. Mm -hmm. How to pay know, your taxes, how to get know, a loan. Book. Yeah, just things about, you know, this is what it's like to, you know, here's what you need to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, so I know all kinds of homeschooling families that are producing brilliant children. My, m let me just speak about my family. Uh, my wife dropped out of school in her last complete year of education was seventh grade. So very little formal education. And what she's producing, because she's the primary responsible party for, for our homeschool, um, is phenomenal. It's amazing. You know, we're not in the 70s anymore. There's there's unlimited access to information. Like, we, we're yeah. so fortunate that literally anything you want to... Not only is there is there written content about it at our fingertips, but you can watch somebody do it in a video. Like, you, there's just unlimited information. So there's no, no reason that anybody has to... Eat. And I don't care if you're talking about how to how to do a home science experiment or how to solve a calculus equation it's all there and it's yeah. all accessible jump in really quickly about that because that kind of goes to this industrial revolution concept we used to need to retrieve information that yeah. was part of what the human brain had to do right yeah. we had to retrieve information yeah. we don't have to anymore I know. so um the years of the Vietnam War, I don't need to know that information. I can tell you in five seconds yeah. by just typing it in on my phone. So, and they've done studies that say the human brain is actually changing because yeah. of this. And, and, and that's great. And school needs to change with it. You know, instead of memorizing when the Vietnam War was, we need to talk about how to... What are the implications of the Vietnam War? Right, or how to retrieve information and how to test whether that information is accurate or inaccurate. You know, how to tell the difference between uh, sources of information that are good and bad. I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of How about recognize the common threads between the Afghanistan invasion and the Vietnam invasion? Yeah. Like, that would be... I'd be happier if we could do that than talk about the date of the yeah. Gulf of Tonkin why, incident. Why do humans kill each other? Yeah. I mean, you know, why... And what? You know, why does it get to that point? You know, whatever. I mean, but, but information retrieval is not part of something that we will need and will ever need ever again. We don't need to remember things. I heard that Einstein said that. They asked him one time what the speed of sound was, and he said, "I don't keep that information in my head. I have books to look it up." Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so Erica is with a seventh grade education is producing children who are so they're vastly more literate than I am. Like, when, when, when Elijah or Hannah, they got on a Dickens kick, they read the entire corpus of Dickens within the next six months. They, they got on a Russian writer kick, so they're reading Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Elijah decided he, he read a quote from Twain that he liked, so he reads the entire corpus of Twain. Like, they're, yeah. they're amazing what, they're, what, what we're producing. And it's not about, it's not about this it's not only about the, the information that's available, it's about caring for the child. It's about that environment that allows them to pursue their interests. And I think that's the common thread and, in both these systems, is to create a place where children can follow what they want. Right, it's about motivation yeah. too. It's about, you know, um, at, at Sudbury Valley, uh, a lot of kids go on to college. They say 80% of the kids go on to college. I hate to say that because it makes it sound like that's something important, I mean, uh -huh. that, you know, but, uh, in the, most colleges require an SAT, right? So you have to take the SAT test. So, so the kids just say, okay, well, what do I need to learn to pass this stupid test? And so you need to do and go, you need math through algebra. So they 
they need to pass this test so they learn to do this. And they, in about six months, they learn the entire high school mm -hmm. curriculum of uh, mathematics. And they were talking to some uh, to a uh, mathematics professor who said, yeah, the amount of content that we teach at school is not that much. It's just that students find it so distasteful yeah. that we you have to keep cramming, out. cramming yeah. and cramming and cramming. It just takes a long time. And you have to do thirty people at a time, and you, some of them are getting it, and some of them aren't. And you right? Can't you think the Dickens students. is this huge fat book that you yeah. got to slog through? You know, if you're slogging, you're not. Then <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, well, there's a commercial for yeah alternative education for homeschooling and for Sudbury Valley. Um, for smart so, children. So I will say that. Um, and maybe I need to ask you how you handle this, but the, the number one question that, that people ask about homeschooling, and, and no schooling is, is, is different than what we do, but no, no schooling is basically, we're not going to teach our children anything. Mm -hmm. The children are going to ask stuff, and then we're going to tell mm -hmm. them, or we're going to learn how to cook together, we're going to do things together, and we're going to sort of figure it out. But that's not what we do. You know, we, we send them to the school. But the main, uh, the, the main question that people have about homeschooling and about no schooling is how do they uh, interact socialize. with each other? How do they socialize, right? And that's what Sudbury Valley gives us, right? Uh -huh. Is that we send them to this school where there's a hundred other children of ages from four to nineteen that they just, you know. So that's what we pay for. Uh -huh. We pay for this community, this uh -huh. ability to have this community, this beautiful house on these three acres of this gorgeous, you know, um, landscape, and there's a creek, and you know. Um, so that that's what we pay for. Um, so how how is it that you um, how, how do you deal with that? I'm sure people ask. Yeah, you. they do. Well, there's a there's a few different things that I say about it. One is that it's not it's not the intended outcome of the public school system that it be a social environment. It's intended to teach you academics. That it should be a byproduct of that that there's a social environment. Secondly, when we look at the byproduct environment, it's a horribly toxic environment in public schools. Like, yeah. I got spit on in the bus, yeah. I got on fist fights at school on the playground, yeah. I got called names. You I want that social names. interaction? Yeah, that, I don't, the bullying, the horrible I don't want what I don't want seven-year-olds to teach what they know to my seven-year-old. That's ugly stuff yeah. without supervision. And then, And then lastly is that I think the multi-age, uh, I happen to, I think it's a, it's more of a question if you have one or two children than if you have 11. Obviously, we have plenty of social environment right. within my yeah. home. But we also, because we're, we homeschool, we also have been free to travel. We, we pack up our books and we take them on the road. We spent three months traveling across America, didn't miss a beat with our schooling. We're able to right, cool. meet people and see things and... But and I, we I, also I mean, I would be a, careful about, you know, oh, we have 11 children, so they're, they're, they're social. I mean, th that's a monochromatic view. I mean, yeah, they're social, but they, it's everything that they teach each other. It's a, just one family's view of life, you know. Yeah. You want to be exposed to people that you don't like, yeah. to people that you don't understand, sure. you know. And we, so we do that through a few different mechanisms. We're a very outreaching family like we because of our spiritual interests and pursuits we're involved uh, over the years we've been involved in the homeless population we've been right. involved in 
and reaching out to all different kinds of communities and environments. And we also have our own. So I look at a lot of the things in my life are, are concentric circles. My, my community structure for my, my Christian community is a concentric circle. I have people that I live with, people that I commune with, people that we meet with, and then a broader circle. And, and I view community itself as a concentric circle. The core of our community is our family. And we have a very strong family identity. We're millionies. We love being right. millionies. We love each other. We're our support network. And then outside of that is our church support network, and outside of that is our bigger, our bigger neighborhood and, right. and region. And so we connect across all those different lines. And the closer to the center they are, the more important those relationships are. So our church community has, so I'm, I'm one of, one of the families just left, but at, a, at one time there were three of us families who had 10 children. So it's 30 children, three <laughs> families, plus, you know, other families of seven, six, five, nine, four, two, right. all across the range. And we're together a lot. And so there's all kinds of social interaction. And it's with people who have common value structures. And so right. I think that helps establish young children in a value network that allows them to be able to. There's another principle, you know, that like the critique of, of uh, the more child-led family structure, you know, where the, the baby cries and you pick it up. You always pick it up. You don't leave it in a crib to sleep at night. You feed it when it's hungry, that kind of stuff. The accusation, the, the allegation that's been made from a more schedule-oriented perspective of parenting has been that that creates weak children that don't know how to control their emotions or whatever, and we've never bought that. We think if you give a child what it needs, if you respond to its cries, if it knows yeah. when I need you, you're here, that actually liberates the, the, the mind and the heart to be able to explore and to become secure in themselves. I don't have to worry about my needs so I can focus. It's like this Maslow's yeah. hierarchy. Because my needs are met emotionally and physically, I'm free to explore yeah, other to, things. to go up the pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I well, is it called therberizing? Is that what I remember? Therberizing, it's like, it, it's, uh, it's you, you let the child cry all night. Mm. You just, you sit outside the door and you just let them cry and we cry We just and always call it cry. CIO, cry it out. Well, yeah, you just let them cry, 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 and then they're going to understand that they have to be self-sufficient or something yeah. like that. And to me, it almost seems like torture. Yeah, I mean, that just seems horrible to me that, that you know, um, because I haven't spoken to my father in so long, it, it tears me up and I have nightmares about it all the time, but not having, just knowing that it's not there in my life is just, this. it will always be this source of sadness. It will always be, you know. Yeah. And I just feel it, it's like if I'm crying out in the night and my parents don't come, it just makes me feel like I'm abandoned. I mean, yeah. I, I, maybe it makes you self-sufficient, but at what cost? Yeah, it's like I'm on, right. I'm on my own. Yeah. You know, I really don't Vulnerable, feel like... Vulnerable, weak, and on my own. Yeah, I don't feel like our children are not self-sufficient. Yeah. Um... So there's, I, I want to just tell two super quick stories about, um, about our upbringing that makes, that sort of illustrates why I think it worked. Um, my, um, our oldest went trick-or-treating with friends when they were like, you know, I don't know, 12 or something. And you know how, how if a neighbor's not home, they, they'll, they'll put a basket out that says, please take one, yeah. you know. And... And she was going. And it lasts five minutes. Yeah, she was going trick or treating with this, and and 
her friends. And so she took one, and her friends were like, oh, my God, nobody's looking. And she's like, dude, it says take one. I mean, uh, just... Take one. What's the what's the video? And they're like, ah, no one's looking. And they did that. And they did that like three or four houses. And then finally, my daughter just came home. She's like, I, I just don't want to be part of this. Uh, you know, I don't understand the well, why not. Just you know, don't buy those. And um, why one free one isn't enough? Yeah, I mean, there's this sense that like you're constantly watched, uh -huh. so that when you're not watched, go nuts. Yeah. You know, whereas our children were not constantly watched. In fact, quite the opposite. They were, they were, you know, uh, able to do whatever they wanted. So they chose to do the right thing. Interesting, because I just, you know, that the book, um, uh, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the concept, right, is that the, 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 there's a plane crash, and and all these children. Was it a plane or a ship? Shipwreck. I don't know. All these children are alone on an island, and then they sort of devolve into animals, right? Yeah. They just start take killing each other. This is this horrible thing about uh, human nature. We're just a bunch of vicious creatures. But what I've learned from this school and from watching my children grow is what would really happen if there was a crash and on this island and a bunch of children came out. They would immediately form a rudimentary government. They would immediately say, you're good at hunting, you hunt. You're good at cooking, you need to cook. Let's decide what we're going to do about this. Who, we need a shelter first of all, so how are we going to do that? That's what would really happen because I've seen it, you know? So this, this concept of, of, of children are just hellions is completely erroneous. It's an environmental level. Yeah, if you allow them to be responsible, they will be responsible, mm -hmm. you know? They'll take one candy. And what's interesting is that, is that they'll take one not because they're told to, but because they're actually thinking, if I take them all, then that person won't get any. That's what I, Empathy. That's what I feel like is the, the, the greatest mm -hmm. achievement, yeah. is, is, is this actual caring about what other people think, you know? Um, so, yeah. Did you have two? That was one. Um, I did have another one. But I can't remember it. I don't know. <laughs> well. Anything else that you uh, that we want to say about child rearing? No. Love your children. Yeah. And maybe it never ends. You know? I mean, uh, our oldest is 20. And they're thinking about colleges and stuff. I'm like, you know, we live in Boston. There's like 60 colleges within the city limits. You don't need to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you can just stay here forever. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'm just dreading that, that day. Um, but because we're so close, I, I you know, that the rest of our lives, we're gonna, it's going to be great. You know? yeah. So we're just having a blast and just loving every minute of it. Me too. It's good. All right, man. Love well, you. I love you.